0: Does it repeat or does it rhyme? And why can't we just hit rewind? Oh, well, it's all just history. This is life. Welcome back, listeners, to the Modern History HSC podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at Australia's performance during the Great Depression, specifically in terms of its political response. The reason why I wanted to do this particular episode is because this was a question that um, really stumped me. So the context was in class, brought this question up, thought I had, you know, it dialed in as to the way that I was going to approach the question. But as the kids started asking questions themselves and once you started really pushing up against the wall of, okay, why am I saying what I'm saying? how is my argument stacking up to criticism? Um, And do I have any evidence to back up what I'm saying? I found that I had to go back to the drawing board. And what I think I've got now is a game plan for what my students can do and what you can do if you're listening, um, getting ready for the HSC, or if you're a teacher teaching the Australia National Study for the first time, what you can do when you get a question um, that is focused on Australia's political response to the Depression, as well as giving it some sort of evaluation. And this was the tricky bit for me is that you almost have to have an economics, um, ba- like a basic economics understanding, to be able to give an evaluation of the political response to the Depression. So I found myself teaching a Economics 101 class, um, basically to get our heads around the question. Anyway, context out of the way, let's get into what the actual question was focusing on. So the question was, what were the political responses to the Great Depression and how successful were they? The way that I've approached this question is to, one, divide the responses because I think that the federal response and the New South Wales state response are quite separate and quite unique. Um, This might be slightly different to the way that you might think you should attack this question. You might think, oh, politics, depression, it's about the commies versus the fascists. Now, I really don't think that is the case that it's like that's the headlines it's oh yeah you know these fascists and then you've got francis de groot and they're gonna kidnap jack lang and if you go down that route you're really not answering the question because the fascist groups like the new guard they're not in power and they're really not that popular um they don't have a lot of electoral presence and the more extreme communist groups, they don't have a lot of representation either. Yes, there are, there is like a presence of uh, more extreme left-leaning influences within the Australian Labor Party, but they certainly don't drive it. And they certainly don't have the support of Jack Lang, who will go on to write a book, you know, why he thinks like communism is evil and ends up forming a political party that is the (laughs) the labor non-communist party (laughs) so i don't think it's about the that um these two headline grabbing groups it's got to be about the state and the federal response and how their lack of communication and their lack of coordination impacted the successfulness of Australia as a whole to respond to the depression. They both played a role, but if they worked together from the beginning and had a response, say similar to the way that our government has just dealt with COVID, um, almost like looking at this now, you can see that here's a blueprint of how not to do it. And we've had a better blueprint of how to respond to it. So let's go through the intro. How do you introduce this? I'm going to go through word for word the draft plan that I have. So if you want to be taking notes, now's the time to do so. So introduction. Australian political leaders responded to the Great Depression with a mixture of austerity, which is like tightening your belt, cutting spending measures and social welfare programs. At the height of the Depression in 1932, the nation was split regarding the two priorities of stability versus welfare. So much so that tension between federal and state leadership almost culminated in a civil crisis. Um, Could you write civil war here? Again, I think that's a bit clickbaity to say that New South Wales and the federal government were on the brink of civil war. I don't think there's enough evidence for that. Civil crisis? Constitutional crisis? Certainly yes. It is clear that this serious lack of coordination affected the success of the economic recovery in Australia, with only a real improvement coming later in the 30s, largely due to non-political factors. And this is going to make up one of our paragraphs too, that a lot of this... A lot of the recovery is out of the is out of the hands of the australian political groups federal or state yes they can lay the groundwork but because we're such an export driven economy and because under stanley bruce and all the predecessors that come before him we put all this money effort and investment into bulking up our ability to grow commodities and agriculture and then sell them to the uk and the us well with our biggest buyers gone it doesn't matter how much money you print it doesn't matter how much social welfare you do it doesn't matter about your protectionist policies and all that sort of stuff until these two come back to the table there is not going to be a recovery um also i apologize if you pick up the sound of helicopters going overhead They're putting out bushfires and grass fires um, out here. So (laughs) that's what's going on in the background. So hopefully they're not too loud. So paragraph one, now that you've done that intro, federal, federal priorities of the Lions. And I would slightly change what I've written here of the Skullin, because Skullin comes first, of the Skullins and Lions government, both of them were focused on the stability and the stabilizing of the economy. They attempted to achieve this via currency devaluation, protectionist policies, and cutting social programs and wages of government employees to prioritize paying back the national debt. Now, you can flesh that uh, paragraph out a lot more. I think you could go into um, where this priority is coming from, you talk about the uh, the England uh, the Bank of England the head of the Bank of England coming to Australia and basically advising the setting up of the Premier's plan all that sort of stuff that's your evidence to put in but just as making a point the point is they're focused on stabilising the economy at the expense of the government workers, and the social welfare programs. The New South Wales state priorities under the Lane government were focused primarily on the well-being of the working class. They attempted to achieve this by increasing social welfare programs, rejecting being the only state to reject the Premier's plan, and... They focused on increasing revenue via a one-time mortgage taxation bill, which um, was quite ferociously trying to be blocked by the federal government. I might just go a little bit more into the Premier's plan if you haven't picked up on it at this point. So imagine depression, Australia owes um, a tremendous amount of debt, out of the Western nations, it's got one of the highest in debt levels in the world. It owes a lot of this money to the UK. A lot, of, a lot of that debt has come from the First World War as well, and things like the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And the UK's head of their major bank comes to Australia and says, you know, it's your duty and it's your honour to basically pay this back. And that's agreed upon by the federal government. And it's not completely like a cow-towing sort of thing as well. This is where you need to have a bit of an economics understanding that the federal government is not just being a pushover here, that on the international stage, your credibility means everything. So the fact that the federal government is deciding that, right, we're going to pay back the debt, we're not going to default, is going to be really beneficial for Australia's ability to recover and trade and have the trust of its consumers and the people who are buying its exports later on. In the short term, it sucks because you're going to have to pay back all this money when at the time you're the other driving factor or the other thing that's going against you is, well, we want to be using the cash flow that we have to support people who are at work so this is where the federal government will be torn and the area that they're looking most of all to take money from is well the private sector has already lost um, lots of people they've already cut wages the people who have not suffered a pay cut on the same level are people who are working within state departments and federal departments so let's just bring them in line with the private sector and cut benefits there Um, paragraph three these two competing reasons both played a role in the depression's recovery on one hand Working-class citizens were protected from preventable economic hardship through things like the Susso, for example, and having some sort of public works and public employment going on. And then on the other, the economy is positioned for the recovery of the export market. They do that via the currency devaluation and the protectionist policies. And uh, protectionist policies, again, when I've said this in class, the inevitable answer is, oh, response is, you know, what is that? Protectionist, think about the word protect, protecting yourself. It's Australia first, America first, China first, and the rest of the world is doing this too. That if you're trying to produce something, and you have a competing nation in a free and open market that is trying to sell let's say it's let's say it's wheat for example and australia is producing wheat at a certain price and then you have china producing wheat at a lower cost due to their say manual labor or they could be undercutting themselves flooding the market whatever it's just cheaper how do you stop Australian consumers or other large consumers just only consuming the cheaper Chinese wheat? Well, you can't really do much about what the other countries are doing but you can influence your own people. So what you do is you put up trade tariffs and this is a protectionist policy. What you do is you add an additional tax on top of the Chinese wheat which makes it the same price or more expensive than just buying locally this will protect your jobs within the country it will sour relations with the country that you're putting trade tariffs on but that's the dice that you're going to be rolling in this situation so that's what the federal government's doing while at the same time the state is protecting the working class And I'm very particular on saying that the state is primarily focusing its welfare on the working class because I think that is supported by Jack Lang's one time mortgage taxation bill, um, which was going to target property owners and was going to target the rich that if the federal government from up above keeps hounding Jack Lang, saying, you've got to pay back the debts, you've got to adopt the premier's plan, we're going to seize the money, you've got to stop doing this, you've got to pay back Britain. When Jack Lang turns around and says, yeah, fine, I'm going to pay it, but I'm going to tax the rich to do it, and I'm going to tax the mortgage holders of New South Wales, the federal government is very quick to turn around and be like, well, we need to put in legislation to stop that. Part of that is got to do with class struggle and also part of that would have to do with the fact that in doing that, potentially, Jack Lang might have crashed the New South Wales economy because of the people who are holding the loans. A lot of the loans are held by the banks and if you devalue and cause the mortgage holders to be forced sellers, then you're going to have a huge devaluation of the assets that the banks hold, and then you disable the Australian banking system, and that is not good for anybody. So again, I'm trying to give you the side to show you that both sides, one's not like this greedy side, and one side's not like, oh, we've got to help the people. Like Jacqueline was helping people and prioritizing the welfare of the working class in the short term. But his policies in the long term, based on what we've seen in the future and based on what we've seen from other countries, just would not have worked. I think it's quite clear to say that he would have hampered the long-term recovery of the state if he was able to implement willy-nilly the plans that he wanted to do. The same but the federal government if the federal government continued to have you know free reign with no pushback at all then a lot of other people would have been put in hardship that was preventable and arguably their loyalty could is what their loyalty should be to their citizens not to to britain to that they didn't really put a lot of pressure back on restructuring the loan for example um it was just like, yep, we'll pay back the loan and all the money that we owe you at 5% when other countries were being able to pay back at 3%. And that was like one of the arguments that Jack Lang had, which is, you know, why can't we restructure the loan? We need to put more pressure and it's good to have that balance. And this is what brings us into the second part of paragraph three, which is that If only these two ideas were better coordinated and came together, would Australia have had a better and faster response? So, however, the lack of coordination between federal and state leadership delayed the nation's economic recovery overall. Moreover, the competing issues were so hotly contested that it almost led to a civil crisis between Jack Lang's state police and local militias and the federal armed forces under the Lyons government. I would caution at this point in this essay to go into too much detail on the entire civil crisis that took place. I think you need to highlight that you understand, like, use it as an example to show the extent of the lack of coordination and communication that is going on, but do not turn this into an essay about how there was almost going to be a civil war in Australia, because that is not what the question is asking in my mind. So make sure you keep your argument dialed in. Paragraph four. This is where you start talking about the factors that are out of the control of the political establishment federal and state in australia the political response was largely limited in their impact with regards to economic recovery this was due to the nature of the australian economy largely being export driven and small in comparison to its trading partners such as the uk asia and the united states of america australian unemployment and the economic situation only really began to improve with the resumption of international trade and growing demand for Australian commodities and agricultural products. So if we go back a little bit, again for a little bit of context, Australian commodity prices almost halved from 1929 up to 1932. So this is a vicious cycle that at the same time, whilst they're thinking, we need to pay back the debts, We're we're getting less money coming in because like we're still producing the same goods, still good quality, people are working hard, we're employing as many people as we can, but we need to sell twice as much and there is no buyer to sell for twice as much. So until the buyers come back, until the US goes through its recovery and its new deal under FDR, there is going to be no major recovery. However... I will say that the federal government had put Australia in the best situation perhaps that it could of given the circumstances by making the Australian pound more competitive devaluing it several times under the Scullin's government and then under the Lyons government and trying to keep and prioritizing that the banking system and that Australian industry and agriculture ...didn't fully collapse into outright bankruptcy. Because that was a potential threat. That it was still there. The machinery was still there. The know-how was still there. It's like a marathon. You just had to survive it until the buyers came back. In conclusion. In terms of success. The overall Australian government's response to the Great Depression. Was largely effective in mitigating the effects of the economic downturn. Um, when I'm teaching about trying to give an example of to what extent, you have to pick your to what extent in your argument from the beginning and stick to it. So this is where I would say it should delineate or it should go a little bit to you. If after everything that I've said makes you think that the Australian political response was, to a large extent, ineffective, you need to say it and you need to stick to it through the whole way through. If you think that it was effective to um, effective in controlling everything that it could control, then you need to say that and you need to stick to it and use those other paragraphs to justify that. If you thought their response was the best in the world... Um, you also need to come up and back that up and you're going to need more stuff than what I've said today that I would say that we're going to fall in the middle that the Australian government did the best that it could. However, their lack of coordination and communication affected the success and the rollout of these policies and programs. While the Australian economy experienced a deep recession, it was one of the fastest to recover amongst the developing countries. Again, a little bit of context here. You might be thinking, oh, well, that's the thing. It has to do with how the economy works. It's not the political brilliance that led to the fast recovery. If you're an export-driven market, it means that you're very sensitive to economic downturns as well as economic recoveries, I mean, if you go back to the two thousand and eight crisis with the GFC, and then to the Asian financial crisis, as soon as China started to stimulate, saying, "Okay, we're going to print a bunch of money, we're going to go into public works, we're just, we're going to build whole whole cities that nobody's going to live in," boom time for Australia, absolute boom time because of the raw commodities needed. So once the uk once asia once the united states solved the problem of the depression which a lot of it was artificial stimulation and injecting funds into the economy which would be um defined as keynesianism later on the australian economy was able to benefit from that very quickly so it gave us a turbo charge and a boost in comparison to other countries that are not export driven who have a different diversification in how their economy works the reason I went through that whole rant again, don't take little sentences that you google to be like, oh this person says Australia was the best or was one of the fastest you need to explain why and it'll help you um, get your head around the argument a bit more Um, where was I? This was due in part to the government's efforts to stabilise the banking system, provide assistance to struggling industries, and support the unemployed. However, it should be noted that the Australian recovery was largely aided by external factors such as the rebound in global trade, and you can finish up there. You might say that also the start of the Second World War and that massive military build-up and the injection of funds into industry also played a role. However, I would not go there because I think the scope of the question is focused around the Depression and World War II moves into a completely different thing. Radio. Hopefully, you were able to digest a few pieces of what I think might be a bit of an information overload but the beauty of this being a recorded podcast is you can play it back again go through the steps have your introduction paragraph one you talk about the federal response paragraph two you talk about the state response paragraph three you talk about how they're not communicating and they're not coordinating this is hampering the overall australian response paragraph four You talk about the factors that are out of their control. However, they're setting Australia up to benefit from when the other economies recover. And then in your conclusion, bam, you hit it home and you nail that in your argument. But whatever argument you pick on the extent to which you think their response was successful, do not change it. Whatever you write in that intro, you need to keep that flowing the whole way through because that'll be the one thing that'll undo you is that if you go wishy-washy through this type of argument, which is, oh yeah, there were good over here and then they did some bad stuff over there, blah, blah, blah. No, keep it focused on one argument and use the other paragraphs to help support your argument. Rightio, hopefully you found this helpful. And even if you're not doing the Australian National Study, you found this interesting, a little bit of a history of how Australia dealt with the Depression, Australian economic recoveries. Um, We didn't really go into the fascists and the communists and all that sort of stuff. Um, However, there are already some really good podcasts and already some really good videos on YouTube, which goes into that in really good detail. So I'm not going to be treading over that ground too much more here on the podcast, seeing it's already been done. But this is something that... Really didn't exist, hence why I wanted to create it. Radio, we'll see you again next time on the Modern History HSC podcast.